Hi, and welcome to Shitty Book Reports, where the reports are shitty, but the books are not. I'm Mark. I'm here with Trevor today. How you feeling, Trevor? I'm feeling pretty good. I feel like a blue-colored Instagram graphic. How are you feeling? I'm not... I don't know enough about Instagram. Is that good or bad? <laughs> uh, basically, I'm just saying... I feel like my cell phone screen in front of me because I didn't think of anything. Okay. How, how I, uh, <laughs> I, I'm feeling like a deflated balloon. I think I'm tuckered out from the business busyness of the holidays, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit much, a lot of zoom. We were just talking about zoom fatigue and mm-hmm. the family calls and, you know, ducking off screen <laughs> to check your phone and stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> too many to they last too long i think for basically everyone involved well it's not like work where you have like a hard stop mm-hmm. so there's like you know when you send out the zoom link it's not like it's it just says the start time it doesn't and be I like think, i think not like zoom, two hour duration i think zoom said something like they did something right where it was like pre-holiday season the free zooms were like 40 minutes long yeah. And then they were like, we're being generous to everyone during the holidays and giving everyone unlimited. And then I think some people, myself included, were like, you don't need to do that. Yeah. I, I just, just thought of something. I just thought, <laughs> you know, you know how when you're cooking popcorn in the microwave, you mm. listen to it. And as soon as soon as the pops are not like happening right. that often, then it, you have take to it out. stop. Yeah. Same thing. Zoom should just like listen in. <laughs> and if the conversation is winding down winding based AI. on their algorithm, it's like, you know, maybe, maybe end an it AI, here an AI. before, oh. yeah, before the uncle has to say, well, <laughs> well, yeah, a little paperclip comes up in the corner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's something. I think you're onto something. An AI. Yeah. Watching the waveforms. Um, so this week I sent you. I think I think this is pretty commonly being discussed in the book world. Um, and I think that Barack Obama in general is being pretty commonly discussed in the book world because he just published a new book. And uh, he also sent out Twitter, Instagram, website, you know, whatever massive, you know, bugle horn. However, he shares his things. He shared his favorite books of 2020. Okay. I saw these all books that came out in 2020. I think so. I'm not 100% okay. sure. I'm not 100% sure on that score if they all came out in 2020. Cause, but yeah, because uh, Garfunkel's 2020 list has shit from like the 1700s. <laughs> right. Well, if anybody, <laughs> apparently, I read an article that called Obama the reader in chief. So, okay. if, I mean, I don't think Obama has a running list from the 60s, but it seems that he could be a heavyweight contender for you know, as prolific a reader as Art Garfunkel. Yeah. Um, Unless, of course, he's fibbing. Do you think he finishes (laughs) all these books, like, cover to cover? Uh, I think he probably reads a lot, but some, I mean, I've seen some of these lists before, and Mm -hmm. sometimes, I think I've seen, I haven't seen any book lists from him. I've just seen, like, music and movies and stuff, and a lot of them are just, like, whatever's popular. Yeah. (laughs) It seems like... Brown-eyed girl. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know if he's been like allowed to browse bookstores in a long time <laughs> because of the security issue. And like, it seems like his lists are always kind of 
maybe he's picking the books that are in the front window or something. Right. The, the, the top of it, the top of the top. Uh, or it could possibly. be a Kindle guy. Could be a Kindle guy, too. Could be a Kindle guy. He could also, I don't know. Yeah, it is true that when you're looking at this list, which I set up a little, kind of like a little half game with you about it, but as you're looking at this list, yeah, you're right. It's not like anything is like, and then I read, uh, you know, an Elizabethan revenge drama. Yeah. <laughs> from, <laughs> from whatever, 1500s. Um, so get your shit together, Obama. Um, we know you're a huge listener. Um, so what I said to you, and you said you prepared some of them, we probably don't even need to go through the whole list, but I said, since it's, clear that we haven't read any of the or at least i i don't think you read any of the books on the 2020 obama list did you no i'm not i don't think so i think i'm on uh still catching up i'm always like five years behind at least of course i haven't read a book i haven't read a book that's from the current the year that i'm currently living in in a very long time maybe like some of the pension books like when like maybe like inherent vice when it first came out was like whoa but yeah that i'm rarely in that category yeah um so I said, just look at the titles and maybe try to surmise <laughs> the category that it's in or the title or, or, you know, whatever the title tells you about maybe a short summary or an elevator pitch or whatever. And then I'm going to track them down. I have a list in front of me of what they're like, like short summaries of what, what they're they actually, actually are. About. OK. Yeah. So uh, let's just kind of dive into it. And what do you think were some of the more kind of interesting or titillating titles from obama's book list okay give me the first one the first one i I have in front of me i could pull it up or you want to read them no yeah i'll give it to you the first one is called homeland elegies by ayad akhrar akhtar sorry okay so i guess i don't know yeah depends on what the homeland is Hey. But it sounds like nonfiction, maybe a dramatic memoir. There's a Netflix movie going around, Hillbilly Elegy. <laughs> so that's like a new popular title format is an elegy. Oh. Yeah, this definitely is. Uh, it is sort of like a drama memoir. OK, I prefer so, Epitaph to Elegy. Epitaph. Are they similar? Okay. It should have been Homeland Epitaph. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the difference between those two words. I think epitaph uh, means you're dead, and elegy is like more memoirish. Elegy, I think, is also a synonym for um, just the word song. Yeah, possibly. Um, so let's say what Amazon calls this: Homeland Elegies, a novel by Ayad Akhtar. Which, which, by the way, you didn't even say if it was a novel or not. I guess you assumed it was a novel. Uh, it's a deeply personal work about identity and belonging in a nation coming apart at its seams. Part family drama and part social essay or picaresque novel. And it's what heart, nation? America. Does it say? Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. At, the, at, at its heart, it's the story of a father, a son, and the country they both call home in like a post-9-11 world, basically. Okay, post-9-11, pre-Obama world. Yeah, from a heartland town in America to palatial suites in Central Europe to the guerrilla outlook mountains of Afghanistan. It spares no one in its process. Okay. Wow. That sounds Wait, I, one thing I want to know, can you find out the like how big these books are? I want to know yeah, if, if he's actually, reading yeah. any like 
bomb. Any any huge ones? Three hundred and sixty-eight pages. Okay. So that's like accessible. That's an accessible heft, but yeah. it's not like he's like knocking out hundred pagers. Yeah. Like I did this week. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. You and I are not too dissimilar. Uh, <laughs> all right. So the next one is just called Jack by Marilyn Robinson. Okay. I, I like Marilyn Robinson. I covered her book, uh, Housekeeping, uh, oh, about 30 episodes ago or something. <laughs> but the name Jack, I mean, <laughs> it's obviously a story about a baby who is born as a and ages rapidly into a grown man. And then um, he's got <laughs> this tutor and then he wants to go to school. And Jennifer Lopez is his teacher. <laughs> J-Lo and, is this... and they have the um, treehouse the J-Lo or the person or the character you cast in your head or or it's J-Lo in the book no uh, in the book okay, okay, okay. and then he ends up graduating <laughs> high school at a very old age and probably dies before college as an old man damn there and you go Diane, yeah. Diane Lane is his uh, mother you know what's insane is that you got it a hundred percent right. <laughs> it's directed by Scorsese. It's exactly right? yeah, it's exactly what the <laughs> book is. <laughs> uh, no, Jack is Robinson's fourth novel in her now classic series of Gilead, Home, Lila, and now Jack. And it's having its beloved characters have illuminated and interrogated the complexities of American history, the power of our emotions, and the wonders of a sacred world. Uh, Robinson tells the story of John Ames Boughton, the prodigal son of Gilead's Presbyterian minister and his romance with Della Miles, a high school teacher who was also the child of a preacher. It's very weird that Obama like reads books like this. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, I Maryland... guess she's like a famous author, though. Yeah, Holy yeah, she's way. big. Gilead was the one that I've been waiting to read. Uh, I have that one just sitting on the, on the shelf. It's funny how like an author's first. It's funny how an author's talent can like sort of like turn things around because if you like if I read that, you know, um, like that exact same summary on the like sounds to me like it's like on the back of like you know a, a romance novel where it's like Fabio has like his ripped shirt, on. <laughs> you know, like an author's power kind of changes everything where it's like John Boughton is the son of a Presbyterian minister and his romance with Della Miles, a high school yeah. teacher who is also the child of a preacher. It's like, okay. No, I'm certain she wrote the hell out of that. Yeah. I'm certain that she yeah. It probably it's Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at the summary of Gilead and it's like deep into like studies of the Christian religion and stuff like that. So yeah. she's a little bit classier than the, than the romance novel. Uh, the next one is Cast, C-A-S-T-E, by Isabel Wilkerson. Okay, I think that's so, another novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's probably, I'm going to just guess it's growing up. No, Cast, I don't know. Uh, I'm thinking Chast. Uh, cast, maybe it's about some kind of nomadish upbringing or something. I don't know. I actually think I don't think I'm doing a quick scan. I don't. This is not a novel. It's called it's called non-fiction. 
the origins of our discontents. And it says in this brilliant book, Isabella, Isabella Wilkerson gives us a masterful portrait of an unseen phenomenon in America as she explores through immersive, deeply researched narratives and stories about real people, how America mm. today and throughout its history has been shaped by a hidden caste system, a rigid hierarchy of human rankings. So, so I've read The Winter of Our Discontent by Steinbeck, right. but not that. The Origins of Our Discontent. <laughs> he invented uh, He invented the blank of the discontent, for sure. Really? I don't know, maybe. I that book's from like the 50s. Remember my rule that like every awesome title ultimately probably comes from Shakespeare? Yeah, it probably I'm does. I'm pretty sure The Winter of Our Discontent comes from Shakespeare. Damn. Let me see. Now I have to like... Yes, Shakespeare's Richard the Third. Now is okay. the of our discontent, dude. You can't. You got to give all credit <laughs> to Shakespeare at all times, don't you know okay. that? Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So the next Obama book is The Splendid and the Vile by Eric Larson. Uh, okay. The blank. I I don't like the um the. The, any title, not just books, but like a lot of like uh, fancy restaurants or like artisanal restaurants have that same thing with like the blank and the blank. Yep. The hearth and the like uh, <laughs> thistle or whatever shit like that. Like it's, <laughs> it's really embarrassing. Um, but so this is maybe the splendid and the vile. Um, it's about the duality of man, obviously. Mm-hmm. So it looks to me, I don't even know if this is fiction or nonfiction, or I think it's nonfiction. In The Splendid and the Vile, Eric Larson shows in cinematic detail how Churchill taught the British people the art of being fearless. It's about like a time in history that's like, you know, first of all, my opinion of all things World War II is like I've heard enough already. I mean, that's <laughs> probably very disrespectful to an entire generation of people. But every time it's like something comes out, like Dunkirk comes out or like some new movie or something. And it's like World War II. I'm like, OK. Yeah, I, I heard a um, I heard a re- I, I saw a really good joke the other day that was like, uh, imagine if you went back in time to World War One and was referring to it as World War One. <laughs> Right. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> it's the Great War. Um, <laughs> You're implying a lot more than that. Yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, it sounds like a uh, takes readers out of today's political dysfunction and back to a time of true leadership. Okay. OK, okay. laying it on thick there. When in the face of unrelenting horror, Churchill's eloquence, courage and perseverance bound a country and a family together. Sounds very pro Churchill. And I can tell you by living in London for a little bit of time, I think. I think there's a lot of anti-Churchill people, but I think it also comes from a spirit of like punk rebellion, you know, kind yeah. of thing where it's like there's a lot of like, you know, young people who haven't settled into their full adult selves yet who are like, church is racist, like fuck Churchill um, and vandalize his statues and stuff. But OK, that was the Splendid in the Vile. What about Luster by Raven Lilani? Um coming of age love story I, i'm not sure <laughs> luster at least i spelled it er not re um l-u-s-t-e-r okay er uh i'm not sure yeah coming of age story 
uh what's it called the german word i forget but go for it what is it actually it does seem i mean coming of age is a broad broad <laughs> i had to go broad coming of age is like you could be like star wars or <laughs> something else but uh, it is a coming of age it seems like a coming of age Edie is stumbling Ooh. her way through her 20s sharing a subpar apartment in brooklyn clocking in and out of her admin job and making a series of inappropriate sexual choices she is also haltingly fitfully giving heat and air to the art that simmers to the art that simmers inside her and then she meets eric a digital archivist with a family in new jersey including an autopsist wife who has agreed to an open marriage with rules this is is modern modern this is modern modern it seems very like almost millennial maybe raven lalani is is a millennial she looked yeah she seems pretty young Notable book of the year. Best book of the year. Ooh. Yeah, she's pretty young. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. So she's you got think, a, you um, think his like you like think that's a recommendation? Stuff. You think that's a recommendation from like uh Sasha or Malia? Maybe his daughters, maybe. Yeah, I mean, but it does seem like he's trying to like tap into some sort of like you know, understanding the millennial uh you know whatever i mean that's another thing about obama like we like doesn't everything that a former president do does kind of like you you like apply the significance to it like we're like oh he's trying to understand millennial sexuality it's like no bro maybe it was like in his house (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, it's not all calculated moves once you're retired yeah maybe um, so I'm only going to give a few. There's a little bit more, and obviously we'll tweet out the image that he tweeted out, and maybe this I right. should give credit to this article by Kelly Jensen in Book Riot, because uh, she gave all the links to all the Amazon and stuff, so I'm sure this will fill a few people's Amazon's carts, but let's do one or two more. Yeah. I wonder how much of a, a bump you get from the list, like, you oh, know, like Oprah's, Oprah's, like Oprah's Book Club. It's probably uh, Oprah's thing. Book Club times 10. Oh, damn. <laughs> Probably. I mean, I, I would imagine that a lot of people buy based off of this. Yeah. Um, let's do, I think you come up with something with this one. The Glass Hotel by Emily St. John Mendel. Uh, what's interesting about this is we'll hear more about her in the coming weeks. I can say that. Oh, shit. Spoiler alert. It's a new name to me, but uh, yeah. Stay Emily. tuned. That's Emily all I got St. to say for John that. Handel. Okay, but the you but the Glass Hotel. Yep. Uh, not that one. Not that one. But uh, don't. I don't know. It's about throwing stones or something. <laughs> uh, not sure. Okay, Vincent is a bartender at the Hotel Cayate, a five-star lodging on the northernmost tip of Vancouver Island. On the night she meets Jonathan Alcatis. She, Vincent is a she? Okay. Jonathan Alkaitis, a hooded figure, scrawls a message on the lobby's glass wall. Why don't you swallow the broken glass? Oh, shit. This is like intrigue, intrigue. Yeah. But I like, really? that, it's in, I like that it's in Vancouver because my wife spent a brief period of time in Vancouver, and it was really fun to visit her up there. Cool. Yeah, I really want to go there. Vancouver is beautiful. It's kind of like if, like, Manhattan... Like, it's got this cool, like, New York vibe, and I think they do it on purpose because they shoot a lot of movies up there and make it look like New York. 
so they do this like weird thing in the main downtown where like the street signs and the and the lights and everything are like New York grade like it's like the same company or something yeah they shoot a lot of movies there right yeah and then but then you can walk like 10 minutes and be in like the most beautiful park ever it's called like stanley park it's super amazing cool um and then let's do one more sharks in the time of saviors by Kawhi strong washburn sharks in the time of saviors hmm. uh so people trying to take advantage of generosity or Ooh. take advantage when others are being generous like the sharks uh that's got to be nonfiction, and it's got to be hmm i wonder if he tries to send messages with this list like is it something like about <laughs> the trump administration or something <laughs> like sharks in the time of saviors maybe so first of all, it's fiction. It's a novel. Whoa. And also it sounds kind of cool. Hey, in in 1995, Kalua Kona Island in, in Hawaii on a rare family vacation, seven-year-old Nainoa Flores falls overboard a cruise ship into the Pacific Ocean. So a seven-year-old falls off a cruise ship. And when a shiver of sharks appears in the water, everyone fears for the worst. But instead, Noah is gingerly delivered to his mother in the jaws of a shark, marking his story as the stuff of legends. <laughs> that sounds freaking good. Sharks cool. I really got to wonder where it goes from there. Cause they gave away <laughs> a lot of the plot. Maybe that's just the beginning. No, that's just the beginning. It's all about yeah. like the collapse of the sugar cane industry in, oh, okay. Hawaii, in Hawaii or something like that. But it seems kind of cool. Nice. Yeah, so everybody check out Obama's book list. I think he comes out with it every year. It'd be interesting to like kind of analyze over you know the next few years until we're old and gray. Like, when do people stop caring? <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> like if like if like Jimmy Carter's still alive, right? I mean, yeah. people would still care if he came out with a book list, but it's sort of like it would be funny if Obama like came out with a book list and it's like, who's that? Did you know that Jimmy Carter's son? Smoked weed on the White House roof with Willie Nelson. That is just the ultimate brag. <laughs> That's like <laughs> you're done. Like, like if I I always say that uh, traveling to the moon is the ultimate like travel brag. Like, like people are probably like, yeah, I went to China this past summer, and then like <laughs> Buzz Buzz Aldrin or whatever is like, I've been to the fucking moon. <laughs> and that is probably Jimmy Carter's son probably just says that to like end party arguments. Yeah, a constant one up. That's, that's good. <laughs> it's like hey i parachuted off of you know like that like tower in dubai and he's like yeah i smoked weed with nelly well nelson I'm yeah like, oh, so shut the fuck up. <laughs> allegedly alleged allegedly allegedly yeah, yeah. okay so, so yeah we're ready, to... you know <laughs> we ready to start this one off ready to start I'm, off I'm up and first I, you're up first this week yep cool so um you definitely know a book is good when after you finish it, it ends up adding like a dozen other books to your reading list, right? That's a good sign. Like whether it's something that's mentioned or you want to check out more from that author or some kind of other tangential connection there. But uh, so this is all to say, uh, you know, I finally read something by James Baldwin and oh. it really 
really it really made me want to read more of his other works. Uh, he's not he's not a Baldwin brother, uh, <laughs> but you know he's one of the he was he one of the wishes. leading. Yeah, <laughs> he was one of the leading figures in you know African American literature in the 20th century, mid 20th okay. century. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was born in Harlem right around the time of the Harlem Renaissance, and that you know really seemed to shape his whole life as like a novelist, a poet, and an activist. And many of his speeches have been reshared in our times. Many of his, yeah. you know, appearances are making popular rounds on YouTube and stuff. Yeah, and um, so I mean, his most famous works are uh, "Go Tell on the Mountain," G- Giovanni's Room, and "Notes of a Native Native Son." I think those mm-hmm. are all his like novels that are famous. Mm-hmm. But for this week, uh, like I kind of mentioned, I read one of his nonfiction essay collections. It's from 1963 and it's called the fire next time. Mm-hmm. And it comes from a section of a poem. Where is it? Uh, God gave Noah the rainbow sign, no more water, the fire next time. Mm-hmm. So this is a book it's really a, seems to be a book for those who kind of need to need or want to, you know, reignite their passion for racial justice because it it's mm-hmm. just contains really powerful insight into mostly like more or less instead of just like face value stuff, it's more into like the psychology of race relations and mm-hmm. like this, so this is the first thing I read from James Baldwin. My my first impression from him is that he's such like a such a brilliant writer that he can he can tackle this you know massive looming ever-present topic under these kind of fresh angles that still make sense today and i mean they still make sense today for you know bad reasons but you know it's still it's like a very prescient kind of mm-hmm. uh sounding work so that left me you know wanting to read further into his collection mm-hmm. and he did fiction too right yeah yeah that's what uh, I believe Giovanni's Room is like a work of fiction that is, is very famous. Mm. So, um, you know, and his his biography is extremely interesting. You know, he did a lot of his work from, I believe, France. Like he moved uh, overseas during mm-hmm. like the middle of his career. And I think he he died over there. I think he spent most of his life in Europe. Uh, don't quote me on that, but I believe I believe that's that's. Uh, what I garnered from his like biography. But so this book that I read, and you know, I'll know more about him the more I read, but uh, <laughs> only have read the fire next time. So this is, it could, it's just contains two essays, pretty much two works of nonfiction. Uh, so the first is called my dungeon shook colon letter to my nephew on the 100th anniversary of the emancipation. Mm-hmm. So this is not about Juneteenth, but it's rather when the Emancipation Proclamation was signed by Lincoln. So that was uh, September 1862. Okay. And that's, you know, another instance of what we touched on before, like how little you have to reach back in time to these massive moments in history. Like think about, you know, it feels so far away now, but in the 1960s, you're 100 years, you know. It's a no, yeah, it's it, it's absolutely incredible, and it, and that's the thing that I mentioned on other podcasts too. Is I'm constantly since I learned it, I'm constantly referring back to how Alfred Hitchcock was born in 1899. Yeah, because it's like 
What if, the hell? If Hitchcock was born in 1899, and that, would you say Emancipation was 1863? 1862 was the proclamation, yeah. 1862. So it's like, okay, so Alfred Hitchcock's dad was alive. Yeah. You know, right? you're only, like, even in the 1960s, you're like one lifetime away. Right. You know, you could, it's that could be when insane. you're an old person. Yeah. Really crazy. So this, you know, this was written uh, when it was really just, you know, America was on the cusp of the civil rights movement or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in the early 60s and mid 60s. Um, so Baldwin was really kind of ex- examining, you know, in this letter to his nephew, if there was any reason to really celebrate the centennial, given like the still poor state of race relations. Mm-hmm. And um, so it, that that's a kind of a short, short kind of introduction to the book, that first part. Uh, but it's a really powerful, really well-written letter to his nephew, who's also named James. Nice. But the main section of this book, uh, the second essay, is called Down at the Cross, Letter from a Region in My Mind. So it's kind of a letter to no one in particular. That sounds like the, you know, like a genesis, an early prog rock genesis. like yeah. Concept, a concept album. album. <laughs> yeah. A letter from a region of my mind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I could imagine the cover for that. And I, I found it, you know, really interesting because of ju- just because of how he thinks and how he expresses himself throughout. And this is like maybe like 90 pages of, um, of an essay. And, you know, he talks about his experiences in Harlem and then like, you know, needing to make a choice with his life and, you know, choosing the church at first and, you know, becoming a youth pastor, mm-hmm. but kind of how he was like very interesting, how he was like disillusioned with religion in his life, how he was kind of driven away both like first from the, you know, Christian religion and then from like the black Israelites because, uh, and there's kind of powerful quote in there. Like um, if the concept of God has any validity or any use, it can only be to make us larger, freer and more loving. If God cannot do this, then it is time we got rid of him. Mm. So it's really like, you know, the concept of how how can a just God like allow all these injustices in the world mm-hmm. and that that argument there. And, you know, he, he's he's such a good writer that it's not like some like Hitchens kind of like stuff or whatever. But um, I, I enjoyed reading that section and what like the most. I, I would say the most profound part of the work of this work for me was kind of uh, Baldwin very methodically discussing, you know, the ever-present identity crisis inherent in American life and with, you know, within systemic racism and really just very eloquently like redefining the problem with black America as in actuality, a problem within white America, mm. you know, with, with the mind mind state that people have been kind of mm-hmm. you know conditioned into on both sides kind of sounds also like a, a sort of like he said like it sounds to me like an occam's razor type of thing like stop trying to like write articles like in the daily you know newspaper or whatever it's like this is about like psychology yeah yeah this is about like something that is more sort of like universal mm-hmm yeah, and like you know, human human invention and how like he had to really think about how you know this this Bible 
and everything that he was studying and preaching was, you know, written by white people, like back, you know, after the um, events had happened and all that, you know, all mm-hmm. the sort of stuff like that. And so it kind of leads me to this, this passage here, just to kind of give you an example uh, from like maybe three quarters of the book. Um, society, black and white, must get rid of its preconceptions. Take no one's word for anything, including mine, but trust your experience. Know whence you came. If you know whence you came, there is really no limit to where you can go. The details and symbols of your life have been deliberately constructed to make you believe what white people say about you. Please try to remember that what they believe, as well as what they do and cause you to endure, does not testify to your inferiority, but to their inhumanity and fear. There's no reason for you to try to become like white people, and there is no basis whatever for their impertinent assumption that they must accept you. You must accept them and accept them with love. For these innocent people have no other hope. They are, in effect, still trapped in a history which they do not understand. And until they understand it, they cannot be released from it. They've had to believe for many years, and for innumerable reasons, that black men are, are inferior to white men. Many of them indeed know better, but as you will discover, people find it very difficult to act on what they know. To act is to be committed. To be committed is to be in danger. In this case, the danger in the minds of most white Americans is the loss of their identity. So, yeah, that's um, kind of one uh, passage that I highlighted. And uh, one other thing. So (laughs) the copy I have was clearly used for some sort of schooling. You know, I oh, think it was nice. a college, college <laughs> level class. There's a lot of uh, underlines and highlights, and there are a lot of words circled. Mm-hmm. You know, so what I want to do now is a sort of a spin on our bookends game, <laughs> okay. where we read the first and last sentence of a book to see what we're left with. Okay. But for this one, I'm just going to open up the book and read this. Read only the circled words. All right. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. Okay. I'm on page 15. 14. Prolonged religious crisis. Discovered God. Accepted this deity as the only one. Safety. Synonymous. Safety. Religious. Afraid. Evil within me. Evil without. Could become one of them. Produced by the same circumstances unutterably different, fantastically present, enjoy my terrified lapses, turning into oh. matrons, single-mindedness, far-seeing, crushing determination, peremptory in the voice, price, misstep, protected, God's decoys saving the souls of the boys, burning time, <laughs> curious, wary, bewildered despair, hard winter life, School child's game that one could not win. Fighting the man. Care less. Jug of wine or a bottle of whiskey. Talking, cursing, fighting. Weeping, lost. Cloud stood between them and the sun. Love, life, power. Little one could do to change one situation. Humiliation. Danger. Fled into the church. Wages of sin. Speculations, discoveries. Crime became real as the possibility. Handle, lever, a means of inspiring (laughs) fear, outlet for his frustrations and hostilities. 
dismal, shocking, smuggling, assuaged, dim guilt, disparity, power, criminal power, outwitted. <laughs> Gimmick, worst possible hand, source of fire and temptation, merciless judgment, despise, God decreed it so. And I'll stop there. <laughs> Dude, that was good. <laughs> it's like Baldwin is a good writer, but that it's like mixed with like, is it like, is it that Baldwin is dark or is it like that person needs therapy? <laughs> that person just, that's what they picked up on. Uh, but I mean, yeah, it, it's like, there is a lot of powerful, many, a lot of pow- use of powerful words in here. And I think that's what they were kind of and um, honing my, in on. Also, my next suggestion is to, Basically, just write that out and then submit it to some sort of like poetry. Like, <laughs> is that is that plagiarism? It, I don't know if it is because you know, like certainly things in like the modern art world like get away with like doing stuff like that where it's like you mix two things or steal something from someone and then mix it with something else. It's like those like words could be like typographed on like the wall of like the MoMA or whatever. And yeah. Be like yes, powerful. I know I was into it when I was reading that. I didn't know it would be that that like cool. <laughs> Intense. <laughs> Poet Mark Gagne finds books at Goodwill <laughs> and publishes Circles words at random. Have, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he has um, been heralded and... as the genius of his age. <laughs> so uh, the only one star reviews I could find were focused like so they weren't criticism of the of the book like um the uh they were only criticisms of uh, criticisms uh, criticisms of like the ideas of the book specifically baldwin's criticism of christianity which i understand but like objectively i couldn't so a lot find of people, a lot of people find it and they're like this guy hates you know christianity so fucking yeah him. yeah i think it, some people have found this offensive mm-hmm as far as just his views on religion, but that's, that's the only thing I could find for like bad reviews. Nice. And yeah, it's, um, uh, a lot of the ideas in it are very true to the present day, which is unfortunate. Um, but to be honest, it's like, you know how we say that, like you'll, you listen to, you know, a song about racism from the nineties or read a book about racism from the sixties. And I wonder if like, you know, I think we're particularly sensitive to race relations like at this time, but it also makes me wonder like taking any sensitive topic and going back like as far as possible, like is our like concept, it's like Baldwin was like, you know, you gave me the impression that he's saying of like this, universal universality and like human psychology like if you just keep going back and back it's like yeah dude the first book about you know how you know you know that was anti-christian was like this cave drawing yeah (laughs) like you just keep going back and back and back and you know it makes me wonder if i don't know it's kind of sad though because that's also sad like can we not like evolve Um, we'll see so speaking of putting things in their historical context, I it kind of lit a fire in my brain when you were saying because the emancipation is 1862, right? Yeah. So my book 
that I am doing this week. And let me just make sure I get past the introduction because I need to be on the first page. My book that I'm doing this week was published just a few years before that in 1833. Okay. So, an oldie. And let me do, I want to actually do a first and last, um, I want to do a first and last before I even say, because I love first and last. Yeah. First and last out. Uh, yeah. First and last out of this book for my book this week and uh, without even saying anything about it. So uh, in some country towns, there exist houses whose appearances weighs as heavily upon the spirits as the gloomiest cloister, the most dismal ruin or the dreariest stretch of barren land. And last sentence is. They say that Nanan and Conoyer support the Marquise's party, but nothing could be more untrue. Neither Big Nanan nor Cornoyer is sharp enough to understand the world's corruptions. I have no idea based on the last one. <laughs> <laughs> the last one kind of confused it a little bit. And I actually think that we did that last time with this author where it's like, nah, like the first and last of any of his books I think he gets kind of bogged down in the details. He's not that perfect, uh, you know, Hemingway or whatever. Concise. He's not concise. Uh, I'm talking about uh, the 1833 novel by French author Henri de Balzac named Eugene Grandet. Eugene okay. Grandet. I'm Eugene. Eugene Grandet. Uh, Eugene Grandet. Okay, so I read another Balzac. Um, this is like a 250-page book that I was psyched to find at uh, that famous bookstore in Ojai, California, Bart's Books, where all the books are outside. Um, super awesome COVID bookstore to go to, by the way, since all the books are already outdoors. Nice. Um, Do they cover them up at night or like? I mean, it doesn't rain enough for you no, to worry about like that. The, but like the way that it is, is that it's not like from the pictures you would think like, oh, this is like it's like these little book shacks out in the middle of nowhere. But it's like yeah, surrounded that's by a exactly wall. what I thought when you sent me the picture. Yeah, it's surrounded by a wall. It's like okay. a little fort, so you have to go like into the store, but then the inside of the store is like there's no roof. Okay, little courtyard. Yeah, a little courtyard. Cool. Um. So, yeah, I picked this up. Obviously, I, you know, I got a I got a nice Penguin Classics, you know, Balzac. And I was just like, yeah, let's let's do this. Um, so I love him just as much as when I read Lost Illusions. And also, I think it's so good because I, you know, I had that initial thing with Balzac where it's so like, where do you start? Like, it makes no sense. Like, where are you supposed to start? And I think that I went with my gut on starting with lost illusions just because it was it's like probably one of his most popular books like in terms of i think i got it because barnes and noble classics it's one of the top selling balzac books so i was like oh that must be like the one which it definitely is one of the ones lost illusions so then now from now on i feel like i can just read any balzac and then just be like yeah like where does it fall within what he called uh the human comedy which is like his 90 novel like thing all of his novels kind of loop back kind of like Stephen King they all loop back into like this same like similar thing um but what's cool about this book is that it actually in terms of his um publishing history and everything it's actually written slightly before he comes up with the concept of the the human comedy 
So he what's uh, this was this book was published and then he did like another edition where he was like, oh, I have this like awesome idea where I'm going to link all my novels. So he goes through and like kind of changes like a few names and like a few events in like one of the editions while he was still alive to be like, this is like part of something now. Um, and I actually found that to be really, really fun when I was reading the book because there are these little like branch off passages. There's like a way that he starts to write about a certain character or a certain thing where you can like almost guarantee yourself that you can go read that book. Like he, yeah. you know, like as, as he's talking about like, Oh, this is the story. And I'll get into the plot of the book in a second, but like if it's the story of like some, vineyard like some like guy who's like a barrel maker and his daughter which is that's that's what this book is about it's like her cousin who she falls in love with like he has uh you know someone that he loved and and when and the way that balzac talks about it for just like a paragraph or two and he names a few names you're like i'm pretty sure i can go find that novel in the human comedy and like read the entire story if i want to which is awesome like it's definitely like a reader's dream um, I even found one or two references that go back into Lost Illusions. So he has like an ex- yeah an expanded universe. Yeah, he has an expanded universe. Like there's one character in this book who's sort of like a nothing character in this book, and then he was like, yeah, he like goes off to Paris, and he like fucked up his whole family life by, uh, you know, his mistress was a famous actress at blah 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 theater, and I was like, that's one of the main characters of Lost Illusions. Like that's so sick. Like I know her. <laughs> I know like what she does like to her like. Her, you know, she's like a mistress type lady and whatever. And I was like, oh, he gets like pulled into her bullshit. <laughs> and it sticks with you enough that you remember everyone. Yeah, I, I remembered uh, her name, Florine, which is the main character of Lost Illusions, falls in love with her for a little while. So he like mentioned just as like an off comment. It's like, yeah, this guy went to Paris. And then he got involved with this actress, Florine. And I was like, oh, she's such a bitch. Like, you know, like <laughs> that's what she does. And it was like, it's really fun to like see those connections. Um so, yeah, it's really fun to read, you know, now that I know his deal, I'm glad that I kind of like broke the seal in that way. Yeah. Uh, but let's get into the plot of Eugene Grandet. Uh, the the kind of theme of it is there's only a few like main characters. There's this uh, her father is um, basically i don't even know his first name like old grandette or something like that he was a guy he's it's on the outskirts of paris and actually the way that they classify a lot of things in the human comedy is based on like where it starts so there's like scenes of parisian life and scenes from the provinces and scenes from private life so this is one of the scenes from the country or scenes from the provinces where it's like it doesn't start out in the city and it's not exactly a personal essay. It's like his he wrote like a few books where it's like it's about the countryside. So um, this guy, Grandet, he was like a uh, a mayor of a small town called Samur. And basically who he is. And I actually cast him in my mind for whatever reason. I cast him as um, Warren Buffett. <laughs> because <laughs> <Okay. laughs> basically who he is, is like 
a, a miser. He's like a miser. Not that Warren Buffett is a miser. I'm sure he spends his money because he has so much of it. But he's like this guy who was like a barrel maker and he owns like a vineyard, but he is so tight with money that he's like the richest person in the town and everyone knows it, but they only know it through like, not through the way he lives or that his family lives, but just like how he acts and how he like does deals and people are kind of doing the math in their heads being like, granddad's like a dragon. Like he's mad rich <laughs> just sitting on a pile of gold. But what's funny is that as you get to know his life and you go into this household it's like he treats his daughter and his wife and uh they're like kind of like maid servant whose name is nanan she kind of treats them like total garbage where it's like they are the richest people in town but all uh eugene and her mother do is like sit in a corner and like sew like stuff for the house because they're like if we don't keep up with this he doesn't hire anyone to like help us to do anything so like then they just live in like an estate that's like falling apart. There's like dust everywhere. And he's just like, no, you can't buy a candle. Like, no, you can't like have an extravagant breakfast. Like you can't do anything like, and he controls all the money. Like he basically gives them like a few dollars, like every few months. Oh, he's like, it's like a money hoarder. Yeah. He's a miser. Yeah. He's a crazy guy. And he has all these like crazy schemes about how he's going to get richer and richer and richer and stuff like that. And sort of like the, kind of turning of act one into act two like drama is that uh granddad's brother who lives in paris who's like a little bit more of like a man about town like banker type of guy he um he sends his nephew uh granddad's nephew and his son uh charles to go stay with him for a little while he's like just go stay at like you know your uncle's like you know, vineyard. And Charles is like, that seems chill. Like, I don't really know my uncle that well, but it sounds like it's going to be dope. Like a vineyard in the French countryside, like sounds good to me. And then when he gets there, he's like, what the fuck? Like they are poor. Like they live like, like <laughs> he's putting me to work. Yeah. It's like weird. Making barrels. And I think that's a theme, you know, that was like one of the big themes of lost illusions. And I can see how that's like a theme through all of uh, Balzac where basically I think that he likes to write about characters who like don't know what they're getting into. Um, because the real reason that Charles is there is that, uh, he also comes along with a letter to his uncle and he's like, hey, uncle, like your house is kind of weird, but here's this letter. And then when Grandet reads the letter, it's like his brother, his, his like Parisian brother. He's like, hey, man, I'm in mad debt, like millions of dollars, millions of pounds in debt. So when you read this note, I'm going to be dead. I killed myself. Oh, <laughs> and, geez. and here's my son. Oh my god! <laughs> so the guy Charles is sort of just like, oh yeah, I'm just like here, whatever. And then Granddad has to take him out into the like garden, and just be like, dude, your father's dead, and now you're my problem. And since he's like a huge like miser, he doesn't really even have like the deepest feelings like about his brother. He kind of more like his mind shifts gears. You you can tell like you get a sense of how shitty this character is because his mind shifts gears immediately into being like this guy's going to be a liability. Like, I don't want to do anything with this fucking kid. Yeah. Yeah. Like how does you it know? affect me? Yeah. Like that kind of thing. <laughs> and then there's also like a thread through it that is probably like a little bit alien to us, but like, I guess, you know, I got the sense from, you know, Parisian society back in the 1830s um, that his brother's debt is also like connected to his name, like his family name. So he's uh. like, he's like, Oh, like I like, I can't have like this kid like at my house because like anything that has to do with this, like I have to sweep it under the rug and like yeah, the French and kind IRS. Of, 
whatever. Yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah. And he's like, whatever, this is stupid. So obviously, the the, the book is named after Eugene, his daughter, Eugene or whatever. And um, so she really is the main character, and obviously she falls in love with her cousin Charles, and uh, they are in love. And um, but just sort of like for a brief time while he's hanging around. And obviously her dad just wants to get him out of the house like as soon as possible. And uh, it ends up just like I, I don't even want to spoil it because I think that's part of the joy of reading Balzac is I, I do genuinely enjoy his writing. And I was, you know, like I, I'll repeat the same thing that I said about Lost Illusions is like sometimes I watch this book instead of I read this book instead of watching TV because I was like, I want to know what happens. Like that guy that like Charles dude is so fucked and like. You know, all these different things. So it's definitely like that kind of book, sort of like how um, uh, bu- 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 what's that book that we both love? It's huge. It's about revenge. Uh, the kind of uh, Monte Cristo. Yeah, it's like that. Those like French novels from around this time are like these page turners. Even if you can get past like, oh, I'm reading a dusty old book from 1833, which, by the way, wasn't that long ago. Yep. Then two lifetimes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very sort of addicting. Um, and you know, like I said in the last one, like I marked a few pages in this where it's like Balzac is just like one of those awesome writers where it's like, he just says cool stuff. Like I marked this on my page 130 of my edition. Uh, I'll read it really quick. It's a short paragraph. He's talking about Grandet and, uh, and his kind of his nature to kind of hold back and see the playing field and make the chess moves about how it's going to benefit him the most. That's very uh, Buffett-esque. Yeah, exactly. So I see what you mean. Buffett. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Balzac says, all human power is achieved by a compound of patience and time. The people who accomplish most are the people who exert their will to watch and wait. A miser's life is a constant exercise of every human faculty in the surface of his own personality. He considers only two feelings, vanity and self-interest. But as the achievement of his interests supplies to some extent a concrete and tangible tribute to his vanity, as it is a constant attestation of his real superiority, his vanity and the study of his advantage are two aspects of one passion, egotism. So, I mean, like like that, like you, you were saying with Baldwin, like those universal like human truths is like that's so I love that sentence. All human power is achieved by a compound of patience and time. Like probably pretty true. Like just sit back and wait and strategize, and it's going to be better than being like eh, like trying to figure shit out on the fly. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so he's a self-proclaimed miser. That's where they came from, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So th- is there any part about him that is like excessive? Like Grand does it? Does he secretly? No. I mean. Um, yeah, the head of the household. Yeah. I, I'm just no. confusing the names. No, but is no, he like secretly any anything? Like, no, does he... he has no secrets where it's like, oh, I will only spend all of my money on this. He he okay. literally doesn't spend his money. Actually, he uh, spoiler alert for anyone who wants to have it in the page turner, maybe skip ahead a few minutes or something. But he um, his like dying thing in the book. You do learn about him dying in the book, and actually one of the metaphor, one of the heavy powerful metaphors in the book is that. When the priest comes to like anoint him, you know, like the final prayer, his yeah. last like gasping, like I'm dying actions is that he he goes and tries to grab for the gold that's in the crucifix. Oh, my God. 
blessing him. He's like obsessed with gold. Like he's yeah. just like he all is, he wants. He is smog. Yeah. Yeah. He's he just wants like piles of money. He's fucked up. And obviously, there's like a lot of cool shit in here about like there's multiple people who you know want to get Eugene's hand in marriage because back then that was more of like a formal agreement than it was like oh my god we're in love. So there's like people in the town who kind of come over their house all the time and like butter him up because he's like they're like what if your you know daughter married my son-in-law or whatever yeah my son and he's like nah that's cool with the presumption that they would like benefit financially. Right, yeah, because there's all yeah. this like shit that we don't really. I, you don't even really have to get it to read Balzac, but there's all this stuff like you know the dowries and the blah 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 and the contracts of you know when two families come together, blah 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 blah. Yeah, and there's like other like really like honestly, I feel like Grandet is probably one of at least so far that I've seen is one of the more like cynical portrayals by Balzac because. He there's just like no end to his depravity. Like he does like these weird things where like he doesn't have a stutter, but in business dealings where like he feels like he has the he wants the upper hand, he'll like develop a stutter and people around the town think that he's like crippled because he like has a stutter, but he actually doesn't. He's just like fucked up and wants people there's like a whole part about it where he like he goes into his like stutter mode when he wants people to become impatient and reveal their hand by finishing his thoughts for him oh see he's like a dastard so conniving yeah 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 he like like he's like yeah what i do is like basically when i want to find out what this guy is thinking i i put my stutter on and then they get so impatient with my stutter that they complete my senses and then i know what they're thinking (laughs) (laughs) and he's like jesus christ dude like you're horrible um but that's eugene Eugene's dad <laughs> and obviously she has some issues with him um, and it develops from there but it's it's a really good book it's again another Balzac with some of those cool human truths a really super a cool thing that I found uh, you know I don't really have like a ton of analysis to say or stuff to read but I can just say it's a great book no I think um, you did a good job there you're gonna make me read some Balzac but now I don't know where to start because you're like talking about this whole universe you can start anywhere, I think. 80 books. Yeah, you can start anywhere, really, because I think that he... Now that I've read two of them... Yeah, like, I don't want to follow there. the same path as you, though. You don't have to. Now that I've read two of them, I, I have, like, good confidence that I know what he's about and that it, you could start, like, kind of... Okay, did you... As long did, wait, as, long so as did, it's one of the ones that's fully published, like, don't do oh, one yeah, of the yeah. ones where it's like, he died. Did you do... um? So, the way you read them is nowhere near, like, chronological, right? No. No. Not okay. Really. Cool. Cool. This is actually Eugene Grandet, published in 1833, is like years and years and years before Lost Illusions. Oh, god. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um. This is this was the one he published it before he knew what he was going to do with his body of work, and then went back and redid it and stuff like that. Interesting. Um, a cool little tidbit that I um found. Uh, well, first of all, the movie was. I mean, the movie version of this was made in 1921. So only 50 or no, that yeah, no, never mind. 90 years after <laughs> it was originally published, 90 years after it was published, but still a full still. Length movie in 1921. That's actually early like cinema history. Like 21 is like, you know, when movies haven't been around that long. Yeah. So that's really cool. And you can actually watch the whole 1921 movie on Wikipedia, like direct link. <laughs> Yeah, Wikipedia does have some random stuff like that. Yeah, but an even cooler thing that I found before I go to my one-star review, and this is epic, this is how you know that Balzac is, you know, honorable mention. Notable translations. Who began his career by translating this novel into Russian in 1843? None other than Theodore 
Dostoevsky. Wow. So he, he basically began his literary career, and there's people who – I don't even think there's a surviving translation of Dostoevsky's Eugene Granda into Russian, but there are, like, people who wrote books about, you know, about Dostoevsky and even, like, journal entries from his friends at that time who were like, yeah, we love Dostoevsky. He's a great writer, and he just started uh, his tra- – his he translated Eugene Granda into Russian. And it's like, dude, come That's on. amazing. Yeah, yeah, then they became contemporaries. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and he was a huge fan. You can you could see like dust like Balzac is like the guy who's like addicted to coffee and like is very real and like funny. He's a little bit funnier, but he's still like he's he's doing that psychology thing. And then Dostoevsky is kind of the more like the real one who's like the dark one who's doing that psychology thing. But you can definitely see the influence for sure. Like he definitely read Balzac obsessively. Nice. Uh, I got a short one-star review. Uh, I mean, it's a long one-star review, but I'll just write. I'll just, you know, read paraphrase it. Sure. Yeah. Goodreads Floco six Flaco six rated it one star. Another worthless, boring classic with all the shittiness of the classics and much more. <laughs> it's a long story about an obsessed with money pathetic old man that thinks wealth is more important than literally anything and plans to accumulate more and more money until the day he dies even though he's old and rich already and he doesn't even care about his offspring and it's all incredibly pointless (laughs) sorry flacco six i didn't find it incredibly pointless shitty classics is could be like the alternate title of our uh podcast Shitty classics. Uh, <laughs> welcome to shitty classics. Um, yeah, so that's Eugene. You, I need to get one of my like French friends to actually say the title. Eugene Grandet. Eugene. Yeah, whatever. Is it, it's like there's a T at the end. No. E- oh, okay. E U G E N I E. Oh yeah, Grandet. Yeah, T at the end. Grandet. Okay. Grandet. Grandet. Yeah. Anyway, great book, great author. Uh, you can start Balzac anywhere as long as it's one of the completed ones, like during his lifetime. Like he had a chance to really like edit it. Okay. It yeah. Yeah. Because there's like, even though there's like 90 books, it's like there's five of them or something where it's like, and then Balzac died and we just published this for money. Okay. Um, so so yeah. that sounds great. Um, so to wrap it up here, I was going to see. Uh... What are you? What's your outlook for uh, 2021 for reading? Did you get any um, any books for gifts this year or anything? I did not get any books for gifts, um, but I put a few together for my birthday is like right after Christmas, and uh, I think my family is gonna figure out buying me some books because I sent them a list too late for Christmas. Um, I didn't do any Christmas books. But my outlook for 2021 is pretty positive. I think I'm going to be diving into some more modern stuff, possibly some 2020s, but I'm not sure. Okay. And I also feel like I'm like getting into like a groove. Like, I don't know. Like, like I said, like I've actually had a few false starts recently behind the scenes of uh, shitty book reports. (laughs) I've had a few false starts and been like, I don't know about this. And then, you know, I don't know what it is, but it's like, you know, Balzac, like these French novels from the 1830s really get me going. So you just love ancient drama. (laughs) I guess so. I mean, it's not ancient. That's what we just went over. Yeah, I know. Vintage, vintage, (laughs) vintage. Yeah, I'm um, 
I actually just, I received a gift um, before Christmas. Uh, it's like a month ago of, it's like an anniversary gift. It was um, about 20 books <laughs> and they had a theme. So oh, yeah, I think maybe I you'll know. see this theme throughout the year. Nice. Wait, if I read a bunch of them. Cool. And yeah, I'm All looking right. forward to it. Looking Trying to get back to, to Here uh, we go. more regular reading. Yeah. And honestly, C-Lab, the year I of mean, C-Lab. Oh, yeah. See, holy shit. That's really yeah, awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I wonder if they're going to do anything for that. <laughs> um, it's an old adult swim show for anyone. And it must be. Is it possible that it's been a year of SBR? When do we? Oh, longer than that. It's been longer than a year. All right. Well, this is reports. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You can find us whenever we feel like making this podcast, but we try to do it once a week uh, at SBR the podcast. Uh, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Instagram, Twitter. Lots of different places where podcasts are not sold because this podcast is free. You can also email us at sbrthepodcast at gmail.com. Give us your thoughts, comments, corrections, whatever you're feeling, and we'll see you next time. Later.